How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, we got the whole crew here today. We got former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano, former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman RJ Hollis. And guys, that real-life drama series that is the University of Hawaii football team produced some bangers of episodes here this past week. I I mean, we're talking like binge-watching on Netflix kinds of storylines of of, of this UH football team, uh, unlike we've ever seen before. And so before we really get this thing started, I, I feel like it's my job to set the table. I mean, almost as if you, when you turn on the, your favorite drama series that you're watching and it's the last time on Rainbow Warriors, this is what happened, right? I mean, we got to like go over what went down because it, it, it was a wild week for anyone that follows this University of Hawaii football team. So let's pick up where we last spoke. And that was last week's Bose football final on Monday morning. Um, uh, Rich Miano was enjoying some family time and, uh, and it was just RJ Hollis and I, and later that morning, it was announced that the all mountain West conference teams were revealed. And so the university of Hawaii, uh, despite going six and seven, um, uh, very strong representation, nine players selected to the all mountain West teams headlined by first teamers. Darius Musau, Corey Bethley, which we trademarked here as the Brothers of Destruction, uh, both with 100 tackles on the year, obvious leaders of that defense. Uh, the second teamers were Calvin Turner Jr. and Cortez Davis. And then you had a handful of honorable mentions. It was mentioned that day that, hey, of those nine, six are eligible to return for 2022 if they choose to do so. But then... It was just a couple of hours later that it was announced that Day Day Hunter, the starting running back for the University of Hawaii football team, announced his intention to leave the program and he will be entering the transfer portal, making it three consecutive feature backs for this UH football program to leave. In 2019, it was Fred Holly. In 2020, it was Miles Bam Bam Reed. And now in 2021, Day Day Hunter. So that of course, sparked conversation of, okay, you know, this is what we anticipated. There are going to be guys leaving the program. How many will be leaving and, 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 and uh, who are the players that are going to follow a day-day hunter while this team awaits if whether or not they will still be in a bowl game? Because remember, the conversation last week was, hey, if two teams decline bowl invites, the University of Hawaii is first in line of the teams that did not qualify for a bowl game with a winning record or a 500 record. And so even on that night, Joe Moore asked me on, on the KHON2 News, all right, Rob, do you think two teams are going to are gonna pass on a bowl game? And I said, you know what, I, I don't. Personally, I, I don't see two teams giving up those opportunities to those student athletes, the money that comes with it, the experiences. But, hey, it's 2021. Anything could happen, all right? So then we go to Tuesday, and Tuesday, for the most part, is a, is a pretty ho-hum day, right? Not, not much happened on Tuesday, but then on Wednesday, 
that was the day because on Wednesday it is announced that starting quarterback Shevin Cordero is leaving the program and that he is entering the transfer portal. The face of University of Hawaii football is leaving the program. And that sparked a whole lot because it created conversation. It created what is going on here. Why is this happening? I mean, I was the lead story in the newscast, which shows you how big this is to the state of Hawaii, that the St. Louis graduate, the face of the program, the local boy leading this team is saying that he no longer wants to be here. That created a conversation on social media. RJ Hollis, Daryl McBride started a, uh, a, a Twitter sphere. Forum. What is it called? Twitter uh, forum. It's called a room. When yeah. you join it, but I don't, I, but prior to that, I had never done it. I so had no I, idea what this thing was. Yeah, until, I don't even. Until Wednesday. <laughs> I'm lost, man. I'm lost. So, so anyway, it starts as a conversation amongst alumni and some fans of what is going on with this UH football program. Unknown to anyone at that time is that pretty much the University of Hawaii football team would jump into this forum and they would begin to express their frustrations. And I think the, the the biggest takeaway of that um, was that there was a lot of frustration with team morale. There was a lot of frustration with uh, the the dramatic culture change and coaching style change uh, from Todd Graham uh, and his predecessor, Nick Rolovich, in the way that uh, things are handled, the way that um, team bonding exercises are handled, the way that uh, that the coaches speak to each other and coaches speak to players and, 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 and really Todd Graham, the way he speaks to players and the way he speaks to coaches. And so that created a whole lot. And, and there was a lot of drama with that. Uh, everyone was in on it, listening. Um, and, and, uh, and we'll talk more about that, but that became a blaze in it and, and, and it set fire right now that was on Wednesday. And so that's the whole conversation. Then on Thursday, <laughs> On Thursday, it's revealed that ESPN and college football has created a 40-second bowl game. <laughs> Therefore, and pretty much, and for anyone who thinks that they made the game for Hawaii, I mean, that isn't necessarily the case. Really, what it is, is that there was one more team that had actually qualified than there was spots. And so you had 41 bowl games, which means 82 spots, and you had 83 college football teams that qualified as bowl-eligible teams. And really the bigger, I think the bigger um, uh, uh, piece of the puzzle was that it was getting that 83rd team into a bowl game. But by getting that 83rd team into a bowl game, the University of Hawaii, who was number 84, then lucks out, benefits big time, and that means that they are now bowl eligible because there are 84 teams that become bowl eligible and being the very first team on the outside looking in, they become bowl eligible. They will face Memphis in the Hawaii bowl. And you think like, wow, that's the big, you know, that, okay, that's it now. All right. Okay. Now let's pick up the pieces. Let's talk about it. No, 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 it didn't end there because then more transfers were announced, right? Cam Lockridge on Friday is announcing that he is leaving the program. So that's like the, the fourth true starter, the fourth legit starter to leave the program. If you count Kai Kaneshiro, uh, defensive back a couple of weeks prior. So now here we are. 
we are looking at a University of Hawaii football team that will be playing on Christmas Eve against Memphis in the Hawaii Bowl without their starting quarterback, without their starting running back, without one of their starting cornerbacks, and without someone that was starting before he quit the team in Kai Kanashiro as a safety. All while the fan base, alumni, the players themselves are all questioning what is going on here? How can this be fixed? How can team morale be fixed? And so that's where we are right now. That's what we have to talk about this week. And so first things first, Rich Miano. I mean, I know there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot to, to kind of target in on. I mean, you, you, we can talk for an hour about Shevin Cordero leaving the program and then just, and that could be an hour in itself. Right. But with everything that we just talked about and set up, what's kind of the biggest takeaway to you? Where do you want to start this conversation as far as the university of Hawaii football team who will be playing in the Hawaii bowl on Christmas Eve, but will be doing so with a whole lot of drama in the air. Well, I think I'd start by congratulating the program and, and the history of the program, especially the last uh, four to five years going to bowl games and having some historic wins. But I, I think you have to go into where there's smoke, there's fire, where, where there's a, trembling is it the san andreas fault or is it just a minor you know type of earthquake on the richter scale because you mentioned these transfers and you know everybody talks about the transfer portal everybody talks about kids are going to leave in this generation you change the culture of coaching staff uh is he a little too hard on the kids and you know we all are kind of old school and we don't mind hard coaching but is it more than that and then you start to talk about the guys you mentioned. And then, you know, when I talked to Todd Graham, he said that if he had a first pick defensively and offensively on the junior college transfer portal recruiting board, it would have been Ote Baker and it would have been True Edwards. Both of those guys will no longer be with the program. And again, you're going to hit or miss on transfer portals. You're going to hit or miss on junior college guys. You're going to hit or miss on some other guys that just want to see if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. But there's way too much of it and there's way too much quality because Cameron Lockridge at one time, Todd Graham said, maybe as good as the first round draft pick he had, had out of Arizona State and more talented than uh, Cortez Davis. And he is by far the best uh, uh, boundary corner, tackling corner. And when you look at that, it's taken the University of Hawaii 15 years since I think Abe, I think uh, Abe Elamimium and Kelvin Milhouse to get two quality corners. So one is going to graduate. The other one's transferring and you're just losing too many quality players in this program for it to have consistency. So I, I think that's something that Dave Matlin and this organization has to do exit type of strategy interviews. They have to do a deeper research on uh, whether this is something that is making this program, you know, uh, dissipate at, a, at a, a more alarming rate than we know on the outside. So I, I do think that there's need for research, there's need for transparency, there's need for uh, making sure this direction of this program is going in a positive way, because as we all know, it's the most important sports program, team sports program in the state of Hawaii. All right, RJ, along those lines, before we get into anything else, kind of just what is on your mind? What really jumps out as for uh, where this conversation needs to go? Um, I mean, basically, you know, kind of along the lines of what Rich said, I just think it needs to be researched. I don't think, you know, this smoke needs to be ignored. I think it does need to be dissected. And I'm not saying that 
either side of this supposed smoke is right or wrong. But what I'm saying is as a unit, you know, football is one of the most team oriented sports, period. Just alone in the fact that you have 11 starters on one side of the ball. But when you talk about the physicality it requires, when you talk about the mental wherewithal it requires, when you talk about the love and the brotherhood it requires, make no mistake about it. The coaches get paid all of this money because they are responsible for keeping that together. They are responsible for having a brotherhood that's going to enter the field, that's going to enter the locker room, that's going to enter trouble and murky waters and be able to come out through that navigation together they're going to be able to get over these hurdles together and that is all held by the glue that is the head coach so like i said i'm not putting it all on the coaches i'm not putting it all on the players but from what we've seen this week what's transpired the drama the transfers all that other stuff there is a obvious signal that players and coaches need to find a common ground and need to figure out a way to become a brotherhood before Memphis gets into town and you get another opportunity to show what it is you can do with whoever you got left. Make no mistake about it. It's much love to the guys that transferred, but they're gone now. They're not repping the H anymore. So it's about who's going to be here, coach or player, who's going to stick it out, coach or player, and what can be done going forward to make sure that we can have as much brotherhood and camaraderie as possible so that the next time people transfer, there are no type of cracks or anything like this showing we will be able to keep it all under control in-house and it'll just become a part of the, you know, drama to transfer portal more than being specifically drama to the University of Hawaii football program. Now, we, we heard Todd Graham uh, comment on this situation on Friday. Um, on Thursday, he had uh, his radio program called The Coach on ESPN Honolulu where it, it wasn't addressed, and that kind of created some problems, right, it, it, amongst the fan base of, of just wanting to hear what he has to say about this. On Friday morning, he was made available for his first media scrum, uh, and that was to talk about the Hawaii Bowl matchup against Memphis. And he was asked by KHON2's Alan Hoshida about his thoughts on what took place on Wednesday, which was the Twitter forum, and, uh, and then what happens from here. His response um, wa was kind of puzzling because he, he seemed to, to kind of push it off to the side of saying like, eh, you know, I'm not really on Twitter. And, 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 and you can understand, I mean, we've heard coaches react this way all the time, right? I mean, this isn't the first time, I mean, in any sport and, and, and just in, in so many different situations where, you know, obviously he knows what's going on. Obviously someone made it aware to him, but he obviously just did not want to discuss it with the media, which then led the question of, okay, if he's not discussing it here, if he's not doing anything here in this forum in this media uh, scrum then is he doing anything within this team to try and fix the issues because you can make the argument of it you know uh is todd graham wrong for being the way he is are the players wrong for being the way that they are and and, and that's one thing too is that if you remember on Bo's football final dating all the way back to the san jose state game that was one of the topics we talked about where we, before there were fans in attendance I brought up that I said, I have never seen a team in my entire life of covering University of Hawaii football. And this is my, what, 20th year of covering this football team. I've never seen players bark back at coaches, swear at coaches, you know, do these things the way that I saw this team do. And so I, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, these, 
this roster of UH football players are, um, you know, the, the, the most behaved and subordinate team of all time. And they just have this, you know, mean guy at the top. I mean, obviously there, there's a huge picture here of what's going on. Um, uh, and so that became the, the question, right? Is like, is anything being done here? Are you just going to ignore this? Are you just going to move on and act like nothing happened? Um, we, we do know that over the weekend, there, there was team bonding exercises. The University of Hawaii football team uh, spent Saturday at the beach. And uh, you saw on social media that um, Todd Graham hosted an event at his house, which uh, from all understandings that I have is that everyone was invited to. Not everyone showed up, but everyone had a chance to go. Um, and, and so, Rich, um, the, the question is that with this drama going on, is this bowl game the best opportunity for the University of Hawaii to come out of this thing better? And, 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 and I asked this in the way of 14 more practices, you know, about three weeks together, another football game. You know, as opposed to what would be the alternative of if there was no bowl game, then everyone goes their separate ways and maybe you come together again in what is it, three, four weeks for offseason conditioning and all that. Um, do you view this this um, this bowl game that fell out of the sky, an opportunity for University of Hawaii? Is this the best thing possible for this team if there is any hope of coming out of this thing better than they were a week ago? Yeah, Rob, and I'm trying to still, you know, do my research on whether this is Fast and Furious episode 15 or it's some Korean drama. And, and the, the more and more research that I do or that comes to me organically, it looks it's more like a drama. But that being said is now Todd Graham, if he doesn't think there's any fire and he thinks it's small kind smoke, so to speak, then he can go on with his normal ways of coaching, his normal ways of culture, his normal ways of communication, his, his normal day-to-day -day operations. That being said, these players, some of them obviously are going to play in this bowl game for more exposure, for more opportunity. This is the game they love. They've practiced so hard, the rewards of getting swag and all the other things that come with it. But then the other guys that are still on the fence, whether this is the program they want to move forward with. And there's a lot of walk-ons in that category as well. Um, there's other guys that aren't sure what they're doing, so to speak, whether they'll en enter the transfer portal. If you see a cultural change, if you see a fabric change in terms of him inviting them over to the house, to the beach, the bonding, the more loving, you still got to coach him up hard. You got to still expect elite discipline and, and, and elite uh, uh, conditioning and all those other things that he talks about and be tougher than hell, right? TTH. But at the same time, I think the players are looking for is this the guy that understands us? Because every player needs to be broken down, but after you love them up. Every player needs to be coached hard and have a mentor in their life and, and, and you know, tell you when you're wrong, make you go to class, make you seek out life answers and direction, and hopefully you'll pay it forward. So this, this will be another opportunity for these guys that are on the fence that aren't sure about the direction of this program and how many guys are going to transfer, what the team is going to look like, the chemistry of the team next year. Are there going to be any changes? And, you know, will the offense again be as successful? Because let's not forget, this game against Wyoming was by far the best game offensively, defensively, and special teams. The physicality, 
all the things Todd Graham talked about, unfortunately, but came to fruition on the 13th game of the season. This will now, I think, make a lot of people's minds up, especially the players, if this is the direction they want to go in. RJ, uh, you know, uh, along those lines, when you look at what this team is facing right now, and, and, and it's so interesting that at this time of the year, you know, 13 games in, the team gets ready for a bowl game, and there's, there's very little talk about X's and O's. There's very little, and I think it has a lot to do with because of Colorado State and Wyoming, those performances. From an offensive standpoint, right, defense, you know, what you're getting out of this defense. It's a high risk, high reward, and they have um, been in situations where they risked a lot and, and were burnt, and then they risked a lot and were rewarded big time, being one of the most uh, potent takeaway defenses in the country. All right, so I, I feel like everyone understands the defense and, and, and what this defense brings to the table and how good of a defensive coach Todd Graham is. I, I don't think there's any argument there, right? The biggest question all season long was the offense. And now you're coming off of the two best games you've had, 88 points in eight quarters, and this is what the offense is capable of. And so it's so interesting that, you know, we're not even talking about X's and O's anymore because I think everyone saw what's possible with this offense. Oh, everything that this coaching staff talked about and said what was possible and the way, we, you know, tempo and, you know, and everything – Oh, we saw it. Finally, we saw what it looked like. Okay. So maybe there's less questions as far as, okay, is this even possible, right? It is possible. Now, is it sustainable? That's what we have to find out, right? Especially when you talk about some of the featured players that are going to run that offense are no longer a part of the offense. So it's so interesting to me that we talk so much about just you know, almost humanity and personal relationships and, and, and things like that. And so my question to you, RJ, is that do you feel that, you know, Todd Graham got here and coached the way that he knows how to coach, right? Is the way that he's always coached and he's been very successful in his career. And so do you almost feel like what makes this even mo most interesting is that he came to maybe the one place that that you couldn't have zero adaptability to the place that you're coaching at it is because it truly is the only program in the country that has its own culture and i'm not talking football culture i'm talking like actual culture and so do you kind of get the sense of the best thing that could come out of all of this is that there is more education there's more introduction there is more uh familiarity and a teaching of what Todd Graham needs to conform to, even if it's just a little bit. Well, I mean, I, I think I kind of get what you're saying. And um, I think that's to be seen going forward. We know what Todd Graham has brought to the table up until this point. We've been, you know, very neutral as far as when we judge what the coaches are doing, the X's and O's on the playbook, we keep that all the way clean slate. But I think what we've seen this past week is that, interpersonal issues and interpersonal communication very well affect how you're going to perform on the field. The one thing I've been saying all week is that, you know, a lot of people are talking about six and seven and how much the team deserves to be on a bowl game. And then they bring up the six and 17 from 2016 that I was on. Well, the one thing I would say about that team is that we weren't supposed to go six and seven. We probably should have won only like 
three or four games. I will challenge anybody listening to this podcast to go back and watch my highlight tape on YouTube before you even see me play film, before you even see me play. It's going to start off with Rich Miano talking to Robert K. Calla about how R.J. Hollis told Nick Rolovich we need to run the ball, and Nick Rolovich ran the ball. We won that game that Rich Miano was referring to, which was Nevada. After that, you'll see me smacking my helmet on a locker saying Warriors come out and play, something I was prompted to do by Nick Rolovich. That was against Air Force. We won that game in double overtime. Then you'll see me coming down with my team behind me in all white. That was San Jose. We won that game also. But I will be telling you that there was a lot more passion and love for each other that caused those wins than straight up X's and O's. And I think what we're seeing now is that the lack of what may have been passion, what may have been learning culture is may have been what caused them to lose some of these closer games. I mean, let's not only talk about the culture as something that Ty Graham himself has had to get over, but these guys have had no fans for two years. You've had COVID rules that are way more extreme than anybody else's. So even though Ty Graham has his way of doing things, I think it was a lot more magnified when the outside distractions of your problems aren't there anymore. You don't have fans to show up to your games so you can just get hype about that. You can't go to any restaurant. You can't go to any parties. You can't party in the dorms. You can't just do normal college student stuff that would make you be able to normally tough some of these situations. So I think more than just a cultural aspect of it, like I said in my first answer, I think these people need to learn each other, especially if they're going to be around each other. There has to be an understanding of, I coached this way and it brought success because of this. And you guys need to listen to my coaching because of this. And they should tell him, well, we feel this way because of that. And I feel like going forward, that'll explain a lot more. I mean, if you decide you want to have a get together after being called out for not inviting people to get togethers, that's almost like we're just trying to put a bandaid over this, you know, pretty intense cut. But I think come next year, when we know who's going to be gone, we know who's going to be back. We know who's going to be the coach. We know what they're going to have to show going forward. I think in this offseason, you will be able to see what was learned, what was taught, and more importantly, what is going to be used based off what we've been learned or taught. If we're just going to continue to do the same thing, both as coaches and as players, then nothing's going to get fixed. But going forward, if you know Ty Graham can figure out a way to get his players to understand him even if it's in a harsh way, but you get them to understand you, to get where you're coming from, I feel like this team next year is going to be able to fulfill that potential, which we all know was not fulfilled this past season. Even though you did end up in a bowl game, we know there was a lot more to be desired from this team. And I think towards the end of the season, we started to see it was a lot less X's and O's and a little bit more Jimmy's and Joe's. I think you guys had a pretty decent game plan, but with players cussing at coaches, going off on each other, and there's no love, you cannot expect to have your best performance, no matter who you are, no matter what situation you're in. A lot of people say, you know, college football players got to be tough, and it's not like that in the work environment. People go on strikes in the work environment all the time. There's unions that exist for this reason, because the powers that are up need to still be able to be checked by the people they control. So in any sort of relationship you're going to have, there has to be a learning of each other. And I feel like that won't truly be shown until next fall rolls around. And then we will see what this locker room feels like then.
Okay, so, uh, you know, just to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to be very careful when I say this, because, you know, I know the, 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 uh, the, the temperature right now, and I know the landscape, and I know where the anger is directed at. And, and so I'm not, I, I don't want it taken out of context of, of saying that, that, that this coaching staff, and especially head coach Todd Graham, bears no responsibility of what happened here to create this situation that this University of Hawaii football team faces, which may I add is, is unprecedented in, in regards to now, now, like you said, RJ happens all the time, whether it's a football team and whether it's a, the workforce or whatever it is, it happens all the time that there is friction from the top to the workers and, you know, and all this stuff, but in regards to how University of Hawaii fans, and boosters and former players and future players were brought into the locker room, right? We're brought in to just fully get just right. everything that's going on is unprecedented. I mean, I right. can't even think of any other team, period. I mean, no. to the point where if this was like Penn State that did this, it would have been breaking news be, on Sports yeah. Center and would have been everywhere. I mean, the University right. of Hawaii, in a way, is lucky that it's out in the middle of the Pacific. And unless you're doing crazy, you know, good things, um, there's not too much focus on the University of Hawaii football program. With that being said, with what RJ talked about, with what you talked about, Rich, is there a learning lesson that can be made for the players themselves of how much better you can make a situation if you take it upon yourselves within yourselves? And I'm talking about, about finding a common enemy as opposed to kind of uh, just putting your arms up and saying, this is ridiculous. I hate it here. Right. You get what I'm saying? Like, yes. is yeah. there, could, could things have corrected itself from the inside of just this team being tighter, being closer and powering through some of these issues, if that makes any sense. And again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here of just wanting to get your sense of being in a locker room and understanding that, you know, these issues aren't alone to the University of Hawaii. These happen all over the world. Yeah. And Rob, let me digress a little bit, because you mentioned that I was off the show last week for personal reasons. It was really because I was holding out for more money. My <laughs> My agent got to you and I appreciate the raise, whereas now I'm worried about R.J. Hollis going national like a Stephen A. Smith. And we're going to have to pay him big bucks for the next show. So that is really what's on my mind right now. But going back to the players, the players now, it's all about the captains, right? It's all about the senior leadership. And I think your two best players on this football team, Shevin Cordero and, and uh, Darius Musau, about local boys, they're humble. They may not be the most outspoken, verbal type of guys. And that's something that, you know, you have to overcome. Because you're right, Rob, when they do catch the football, when they don't jump off sides, when they do these things that no coach is teaching them in terms of, you know, the mistakes they made, uh, the execution problems that they had, you know, the misprotections or the bad calls on protection. So, yeah, when they execute, that's the most frustrating thing, but it goes back to that is on coaching because you're allowing it to happen. So yeah, the, the frustration stems and boils from what we can talk about this all day is the lack of execution, the first 11 games, especially offensively, but also on special teams. Right. And so, yes, I, I do think that the players need to, you know, 
buckle up their bootstraps and, you know, get out there and, and do the extra work on the field, do the extra work in the weight room, do the extra work in terms of, hey, guys, we, it is what it is. Todd Graham ain't going anywhere anytime soon, but do we want to be remembered for winning and living up to our potential and, and reaching, you know, the, the level of uh, excellence that we all know in this offensive uh, room? I mean, when you have a Nick Martin, a Jared Smart, Calvin Turner, Chevin Cordero, Day Day Hunter, and a good offensive line, you're supposed to put up 40 to 50 a game. You're supposed to be top 10 in all the major categories offensively. And when you don't do that, I don't care how much you want to blame on coaching. You got to also suck it up yourself because you made way too many mistakes, way too many turnovers, way too uh, many critical errors. But, you know, there is enough blame to go around because, again, you are allowing that as coaches to lead the nation in turnovers. You're allowing that as coaches to lead the nation in probably illegal procedure penalties and being bad on third and fourth down and all the other statistical things. So, yeah, I, I mean, you, you could have a whole sports psychology show on why the University of Hawaii wasn't successful uh, offensively, but there ain't nobody in the room going to say Chevron Cadero, not a good quarterback. You know, Dave Day Hunter's not a good running back. They don't have the talent uh, in terms of skilled guys. They don't have the offensive line uh, in terms of running the ball physically downhill or protecting for this uh, young quarterback. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I, 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 players, each and every one of you should feel responsible that you didn't live up to your potential, but the coaches need to suck this thing up too. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I just I, it's only one thing. And I totally agree with everything Rich says. And this is only from personal experience. Am I saying what I'm about to say? I've watched and played with three different classes of seniors that did exactly what was just asked. They toughed it up. They sucked it up. They tried to stick together as much as possible and just let the head coach do his thing. That head coach was Norm Chow, who would not be changed from his ways for all of those years. And it never, you know, came to fruition. So my thing is like guys like Chris Gant, Scott Harding, um, Cody Apusia, Ben Clark, you know, you can't tell me those guys weren't tough. You can't tell me they weren't team oriented or they wouldn't give up an actual limb to see success in their team. But they tried to just, you know, tighten it up and think that they would be able to get over what the head coach was doing. And I saw three straight years where that did not equate to more than nine wins, I believe. So, you know, at the same time, I understand that players do got to be tougher. Players definitely, especially in this day and age, got to be tougher. But from experience, I've seen players try to overcome a head coach and the head coach won. Okay, so – Here's an interesting question where, you know, we all know, I mean, because at this point, right, I mean, they're going to play in a bowl game. The Todd Graham is still the head coach. That's not going to change. And so, I mean, I think anyone would be ridiculous to not think then, then the next question of, okay, how do they do this? How do they get through this? How do they all get better from this? How does Todd Graham get better from this? How do the players get better from this? How does the program get better for this? And, and see if it can get better. And if it can't and things get worse, then we all know what's going to happen. It's college football. Then there's going to be a change, right? Is it going to happen tomorrow? No. But, I mean, that's just the way it works, right? And so moving forward, and, and, and I'm going to ask this question, and it may come out sounding wrong, and so you guys can, can tell me if, if, if it, I shouldn't have even asked it. But when you look at what needs to be done, and that is Todd Graham needs to understand how his players feel and what needs 
to to happen here it, from a relationship standpoint. And we also know that these players need to do their part to make this work because Todd Graham could change all he wants, but if the, if, if the players aren't a part of the change or a part of accepting the change or whatever it is, if it happens, then nothing's going to happen either, right? And we all understand that. In any way, is this team more capable and more likely to fix things when you have someone now like Corey Bethley, who, let's face it, you brought it up, Rich, Shevin Cordero and Darius Musau, just based on, on being local and being on accomplishments, uh, you know, when you look at the, the captain pecking order, those are the faces, right? Those are the guys. And so with Shevin Cordero now removed from that equation, is this team more likely to, to find the change because you have a more vocal, a more aggressive type Corey Bethley now rise in the ranks, so to speak? Do you think that that could help this situation? Like if there is any hope for this situation to get better. And again, it all depends on whether or not the top makes changes as well. But is this team more likely to find success through this because you have a Corey Bethley now taking that spot of being the guy that everyone turns to and looks to for guidance? Uh, now, Rob, let me make this clear. You're talking about next year, the future, not just this I'm even talking right? about today, tomorrow, yeah. next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 I think you do have a great leader in Corey Bethley. I think you have somebody who's much more passionate outspoken uh you, you know don't get me wrong Darius is totally passionate as well and so you know you lose one of your captains um you lose a, some good football players um I think in terms of this bowl game the, the issue is is can Braden Shager and I thought that Bo Graham did a nice job on his second start or the third start against Fresno State where he was dinking and dunking and they had a little bit of a running game play action pass thing he threw vertical almost got intercepted there was no more vertical throws I mean it's like almost watching Tua today. Tua can throw vertical, but he didn't need to. And he, and, and they, they did a nice job of, you know, accomplishing like uh, that game on Sunday, excuse me. Um, so, you know, I, I worry about the future. I, I do think this team will be better coached offensively just from maturation, just from putting Bo Graham up in the box, just from, you know, these young guys, Marcus Davis and the league, Terry and Abraham LMA really understanding their position, so to speak, and the specificities of that position. So I do think they could be better coached. My problem is, Rob, I don't care how you go to the transfer portal, who you recruit as a young freshman, even the A.J. Bianco, uh, how many J.C. guys you get in here. It's tough to replace a, a dynamic quarterback. And, you know, I, I know I've been I've been kind of chastised on social media of saying how good Chevin Cordero is like he's the MVP of this league. I said he's capable of being the MVP of this league. I said he played like the MVP of this league the last two games. And then Day Day Hunter, is the glass overflowing with me or is he that close to being the next Alex Green or one of the best backs we've seen? You know, is is Cameron Lockridge one of the best corners and how do you replace that whatever else as well as the other losses, right, we talked about. So I don't know how they'll be a more talented team, but sure they can be better coached. Sure they can be better culture. Sure you can change the direction of this program. But the million dollar question, literally and figuratively, is will it be changed in terms of will they play together like RJ said? Will they love one another? Will they believe in each other and the, this coaching staff? And that to me, like RJ talks about, sometimes is more important than the actual X's and O's. 
and you, even the Jimmys and Joes. It's the loving of one another and the respect in the belief system that has to change. Yeah, Rob, um, like almost directly, and I get what you're saying, you know, but right now that would depend on the leadership of Corey Bethley and how he has already established himself in the locker room. You know, this is a destructive cat on defense, but when you watch him play, you could see he kind of gets a tunnel vision. Now, I'm not saying that's who he is personally or that's how he is, but Corey Bethley goes out and does what Corey Bethley needs to do to make Corey Bethley the best. That becomes an entirely different responsibility when Corey Bethley is now responsible for Jonah Laulu, is now responsible for not only Jonah Laulu, but his feelings, how he's going to act, how he's going to behave, how you're going to show my personality going towards the team. I, I was most inspirational in 2016, probably the, the most prized accomplishment I have. But the thing about me was, yes, I was a captain. Yes, I started 27 games. But, you know, I used to pay the linemen to beat me that were walk-ons, that were scout team. Guys like Genta Ito were one of my favorite people to hang around. There was even one point in the team meeting I stayed behind to watch the backups play. And when Genta Ito made a 30-yard run, Coach Rolovich doesn't even point out the run. He points out how happy I am to see him make the run. So at the end of the day, Corey Bethley, nothing against how he – we know he performs like a hoss. He performs like a baller. But, you know, as of now, he's only had to hit that field thinking about him. So I think the true question becomes for Corey Bethley – does he want to take on all of that responsibility? And when and if he does, how does he handle it? If he's not tight with walk-ons, if he's not, you know, all the way inclusive with everybody he talks to, then it'll probably be more of the same because now people think that this captain is not any better than the last captain. Thinks that this, you know, regime is not any better than the last one. So I get exactly what you're saying. And honestly, I think it just attunes to, the personality of Corey Bethley, and now that he knows that locker room is looking up to him, how is he going to take that responsibility and run with it? All right, last week we talked, uh, uh, you know, obviously at the time we did not know that Hawaii would still have a football game to play here in a couple of weeks. And, and so we were kind of looking at things as, all right, this, this week's show, the one that we are currently on right now, would be the final show of the, uh, of the year um, for the season. And then we'd have, you know, some pop up uh, here and there, um, you know, as they get ready for 2022. Uh, and so I said that we we're going to open up the Bose football final mailbox and we're going to make the whole episode just answering your questions. And, um, you know, based on what happened here over the last week, you know, that kind of changed a, a little bit about how much of the conversation would be um, you know, the, the mailbox and not. And so uh, I feel like I owe it to everyone and we appreciate you so much, everyone who listens to this podcast and continues to support BFF, um, that, that we need to go to some of your questions. And, and I don't want any more time to pass before we do that. Again, um, as always, you can find me on Instagram at Rob DeMello, on Twitter at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, on Facebook, Rob DeMello. Um, uh, some of you reach out, to me through email. And so we appreciate um, all of the questions that, that you send in. And, and so the first one is really interesting, comes from Anthony. And Anthony asked the question of, based on your respective experiences, have you ever seen a team go through these kinds of issues and come out of it positively? 
And so, Rich, obviously, you have a very long NFL playing career of 11 years. Uh, before that, you know, you played high school football and college football, and then you coach for many years, whether it be at the University of Hawaii at Kaiser High School. RJ, with your experiences of playing football your entire life at the University of Hawaii through a time of turmoil, um, can you guys think back to any time that, that it did come out positively? Rich Miano, I'll start with you. Yeah, I don't want to sound negative, Rob, but it goes back to chemistry. It goes back to, you know, this is a, the greatest game in the world is also the, one of the toughest sports in the world in terms of tough people. And although these guys are softening in terms of, you know, some of the things that, you know, that just this whole culture is kind of brought to the table in, in this particular decade or year, I, I don't see if there are no changes made in terms of, Coaches understanding players, players understanding coaches, a great senior captain class next year, a great recruiting class, foundational, um, great leadership, um, and, and just uh, all of those type of things. I, I don't see there any anything positive of what is transpiring, especially as of late. And again, this is not on the playing field. What has transpired on the playing field is what we've been waiting for, what Todd Graham is all about, what he has shown at different programs. It's just off the field. It's just uh, some of uh, the culture or the non-culture that is transpiring. So I, I'm not real optimistic that you can really take this vessel and actually go 180 degrees, but maybe you only have to go 90 degrees. Maybe you just have to change the course of, of this vessel in terms of moving forward. If it remains the same, Rob, I, I, I don't see the Titanic, but I don't see uh, a ship that's sailing in smooth waters. Yeah, and, and obviously I think that, you know, in any conversation we have moving forward about this topic and about the morale and about the locker room has to do with change, right? It has, I mean, I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks that everything can stay status quo and then it's just going to somehow magically work and work itself out. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's and I even think that, you know, with Anthony asking this question, I'm sure Anthony has in mind of, um, you know, uh, you know, asking this question in in assumption that something's going to change. Right. In the assumption that there's going to be an attempt at change. Um, RJ, I want to ask you, you know, be, before you answer this, I also want to kind of throw in there, um, you know, for me, when I think about any experience of this happening, 2017 comes to mind because if you remember, that was Nick Rolovich's second year, huge cultural shift from Norm Chow to Nick Rolovich, right? Um, a lot of people argue very different, you know, going from Nick Rolovich to Todd Graham. Uh, and, and you can't compare that going from Norm Chow to Nick Rolovich. And I understand that, but still, I mean, we're just looking at it at its core, a huge cultural change and dynamic in that locker room. And after that second year, you saw 18 players leave the program to this point. It's not at 18 yet uh, for this university of Hawaii football team. Will it get there? Likely, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the final number is, um, but you're looking at four starters so far in 2017, you had eight starters, eight legitimate starters decide to leave the program at the end of that season. And what did you see in 2018? You saw a change. You saw um, new coaching staff, right? That, and that's the, the most overlooked thing in this. 
is that a handful of coaches left the program and a handful of new coaches came into the program. And so, um, and, and, and you saw uh, a football team find itself in 2018 and have two very successful seasons in 2018, 2019. Although yes, very different situation. I mean, at its core, have I ever seen this before? Yes. And the year was 2017. RJ, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, um, there's really just a lot to unpack on that. For me, 2017, the biggest difference is that they only won three games in 2017. And I think the biggest thing that a lot of fans and outside people are seeing is that people are leaving with the opportunity to go to a bowl game. So to leave a team that only wins three games, okay, that makes total sense. You could obviously see you don't believe in the coach. You don't. And it's easy to. When you have John Suez, the nation's lead wide receiver in that season, when you have Diosami St. Just break a record in that season, and then you guys only win three games. It makes a lot more sense when, you know, those guys want to leave. Not to say that all of them left specifically for that reason, but I think that's what makes the biggest difference between this exodus and the last exodus. Now, as far as a possibility of positivity coming out of this, which I believe was the question you were kind of trying to get at. If I'm wrong, you can let me know. But I believe that the positivity will change everything. Um, like I said, I played with Norm Chow for the majority of my career. And when Rolo came in, you know, one of the players even said on the forum, he'll remain nameless, but he said, I loved practice when Rolo was here. Now I hate it. That resonates with me so much because the first three years I was at the University of Hawaii, I hated practice. I loved the games, but I hated practice. My senior year was the only time I remember getting up, coming to practice and not dreading it. But that was with a head coach change. If Todd Graham's going to be the head coach next year, you do not need to be the same type of head coach that you were this year, if that makes sense. Because what these players are telling you and what they're showing you is it's not your on-the-field thing that's an issue. This defense is top in the country. It's not necessarily an X's and O's issue. When Bo went up to the top, we dropped 88 and seven quarters. I think it is truly a can we be a family issue? And however you chose to run your family this year, the year prior, that is not what these players want. And if you can find it in yourself to not necessarily become a different head coach, but when the season comes in next year, you've created a different culture, I think you could very much see positivity come out of this. And I think you could even see expectations reach higher than previous seasons were expected to reach. So I think it's a possibility, but at the same time, a lot of people are going to have to look themselves in the mirror and know that coming in next year, we have to find some sort of compromise. Like I said, my first three years between the coaches and the players, no compromise. Even when Norm Chow was replaced by Chris Niole, Chris Niole had little to no compromise. We only won one game underneath him. So there has to be some sort of understanding of each other and being able to have a true conversation that can put this in the past. Because if the same issues come up next year, this is gonna come up next year. If things are done and you change who you are, players change who they are, and there's a culture that everybody in that locker room understands, it don't matter if the analysts understand it. It don't matter if the fans can understand it. I don't care what the fans think about the coach. It matters what the players think about the coach. 
So as long as they have an understanding amongst each other, which would require a lot of change on both sides, I don't see positivity coming without said change. If people can't say, I need to do things different, especially Ty Graham, especially whatever it is that's created this sort of, you know, disdain from these players. If those things aren't changed, I feel like next year might be even worse than this year because we see talent is there, Exxon is over there, Ty Graham knows what he's saying on defense. So if we love each other, we should be able to win 10 games, no problem. Hey, Rob, two, two things, right? First, I'm going to get RJ a Fujitsu split level because he's getting hot, right? And then the second thing is I'm going to get him in the studio with Josh Tautofi and Lao Pepa Leituli because we are family is the new theme song. I love it. Our family. Hey, wait, that's, I, I feel like I've heard you sing that before. Yeah, he probably has. You, you don't right? want to hear it now without any sound. I help. feel like this is like a Bose football final uh, flashback. I, I, I could have sworn I remember that family song. <laughs> You're on the production. Here. Come on, man. All right, Matt. Hey, hey, th thank you so much for the for the question, Anthony. Uh, let's move over to Carlos. Um, and, and so we're kind of shifting a little bit away from the drama here and, and, and talking a little bit of football. And Carlos, I mean, good on you, man, because as – as the flames are just like going off everywhere. And, and it, you know, this dude right here is brings a like, bucket of water. Tell, this dude loves some football because he's like, all right, guys, can Braden Shager lead this offense to a win in the Hawaii bowl. Right. And so, I mean, right there, Carlos, I mean, he's thinking about his rainbow warriors and, and watching some football on Christmas Eve. And so Rich Miano, RJ Hollis, obviously we've seen Braden Shager in action. We've seen some good. We've seen some bad um, you know, we've seen where he is green and there needs to be growth. We've seen where he's lived up to some of what Todd Graham talks about as far as what he saw out of a true freshman quarterback as soon as camp opened up. So, uh, Rich Miano, uh, your thoughts, Braden Shager leading this offense here come Christmas Eve. Well, first of all, I want to, you know, give credit where credit is due. He's a, he's a young kid just out of high school. And it, it's the toughest position in all of team sports. And it's the pre-snap. It, it's the analyzation. It's the film work. It's the footwork. It's the mechanics. It's the, the chemistry. There's so many things that goes into being a great quarterback. That being said, the thing that I think moving forward with a guy like Braden Shager is lack of athleticism in terms of being able to create, because I think most plays are not how you draw them up on the whiteboard or how they're drawn up on, on, on these video screens that these kids uh, dissect plays with, you know, whether it's huddle or whatever they have. So the ability to push the ball downfield too, I think he does have some nice touch and there are, are some throws that he can make, but I'm not sure about the velocity, how it spins out of his hands in terms of the deep ball throws, the seam throws, and, and some of these other throws you need to make the deep comebacks. So it does concern me that it's going to be a simplistic game plan. You know, like you saw at Fresno, little or no balls pushed down the field, a lot of, you know, dinking and dunking, whatever else. But again, getting out of harm's way, creating plays with his feet, being able to extend plays is a concern of mine. So you know, is he the guy moving forward? Is A.J. Bianco the guy moving forward? You know, we don't know next year, but this game, there is a concern at this position because if you watch Chevin Cordero, which a lot of these critics out there obviously have not watched the last two games and have made, you know, uh, critical uh, opinions of that guy, he made a lot of plays with incredible accuracy, precision, decision-making, anticipation, and all those other things it takes to be great. So, it's definitely a step down, Rob, but I wouldn't put it on any 18-year-old to come in and fill the shoes of Chevin Cordero. 
R.J. Hollis. Uh, I believe that there is definitely potential for him to, you know, get it done. Um, he beat a ranked team in essentially his first start, and the dude's not even old enough to drink. He's barely old enough to vote. So, <laughs> I, you know, I think that, you know, once you see something like that get done at T.C. Ching, potential-wise, it's, it's almost impossible to say that he can't get it done. But a very similar situation happened with a certain guy that just entered the transfer portal where I was actually able to speak to him. And one of the things that kind of gave me the idea, I'm talking about Chevin Cordero's first start uh, back in 2018, I believe it was. I'm, I'm talking between the ears, you know. Braden Shager up until this point has been QB2. You've been a backup. So you knew that the only responsibility you had was making sure your QB1 was good. And if anything happened to him, okay, well, now you have to step up. And now you you know three weeks prior to Memphis showing up that you're going to be the guy. You're going to get called. You've seen in the past two games, 88 points has been put up in seven quarters. And this isn't even the same X's and O's that he had because let's not forget, he started in games where Bo Graham was still on the sideline. So that play call and that X's and O's has now made itself better. So now when you have what for – most intents and purposes is a better game plan, a better offense. And he's had time since, you know, that ranked win to still get in more experience. And now he will be getting all of the one reps. I believe he can do it. But similar to what I said before the season started about the team, potential is only what I believe. It won't matter until kickoff Christmas Eve and what he shows us for those next two to three hours. Very interesting. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, let's go to Max's question. And again, this is uh, kind of taking us away from the initial conversation that we're having here on Bo's football final. But uh, this is actually a question that I received last week. And I'd said during last week's Bo's football final that, you know, I, this is something that, that we should talk about, um, you know, this upcoming week. And so, uh, therefore, I, I want to put it out there right now and see where this leads us. Uh, but this question comes from Mac who says, a couple of weeks ago, you guys talked about lack of big money donors for the university. Does Hawaii even have that kind of money? There's no oil tycoon like in the state of Texas. So um, obviously, you know, and I remember uh, talking about this uh, when I was still in Las Vegas. This was following the UNLV game. And I think the conversation came up because we were talking about UNLV and their future and and with the facilities they have and all the money that the Fertitta brothers pumped into to to their program rich and i we talked about our experience of going to boise for the mountain west conference championship game and you and i went on these beautiful uh walks in the morning in beautiful boise in december and and we're blown away on how every building on that campus seems to be named after albertson's which is a grocery store line in uh boise idaho i mean we're talking not just athletic department it was the the Albertsons Library and the Albertsons Student Center and the Albertsons Arena and the Albertsons, you know, just everything, the stadium and uh, little facets within the stadium. And so that's what got us talking about, like, hey, where is that in the state of Hawaii? Who is there in the state of Hawaii that can help with this Rainbow Warrior football program who is desperately in need of help playing at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex and building a makeshift stadium because of the uh, just – the craziness that went on with Aloha Stadium. And so, Rich, Max's question is, does this even exist in the state of Hawaii? 
Yeah, Rob, and there's uh, probably three, four, maybe even five guys that are billionaires that have residences here in the state of Hawaii. There's probably 10 to 15 north of 500 million, and then there's probably at least 100 north of 100 million. Are they involved in this program? Unfortunately not. And, and I do think this is the responsibility of the athletic director as well as the football head coach. And uh, whether it's golf memberships at Wailai or whether it's uh, some of these other things, how do you get these people? Because there's, you know, there's not any Fortune 500 or 400 companies in the state of Hawaii, but there's good support from the local banks. There's good support from some of these local companies, but you have to get a big donor involved and you have to go out there and allow them to become part of this program. And not only allow them to be part of this program, but assure them when they do have naming rights to the new performance center or the naming rights to the new stadium or the field or the arenas or whatever else, that there's a bang for their buck in terms of not only the continuation of their foundation, so to speak, but the upkeep and, and, and the excellence that belongs to go with multi-million dollar uh, donorships. But anyone that thinks there's not that kind of money in this town is, 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 is mistaken. But anyone that thinks there's a great effort to extract that money, I think is may, may be correct because you need the right people. You need the belief in this program moving forward. You need the passion and understanding about the importance of this program. And it's going to take a special hooey, all people, all hands on deck, so to speak, to go out and get these donors to become part of this program. Because you're right, Rob, when you look at Boise in terms of the Albertsons and you look at some of these other programs and you see these, you know, the $44 million sports performance center in Wyoming was $24 million by one donor and then $20 million by the state. And yes, you do have to get state to match some funds. Yes, you have to get more legislative and Senate support. But you're right. And, but even the grassroots, Rob, has to grow in terms of spectrum pay-per-view hits, even season ticket holders. How can you help this program? It's as simple as doing the best you can do within your means. But you got to find a big booster, a big sponsor, and make him part that he wants to be courtside watching the Wahine take it to the regionals. He wants to go to Les Murakami Stadium and be maybe on the sidelines or in that dugout, whatever else. You have to get the access, you have to get the passion, and you have to go out there and find this money because it's out there and it hasn't been found. And from a sports program standpoint, name me anything besides T.C. Ching Foundation and some of these other foundations that have given the 20 millions, the 50 millions, the 100 millions. And that's what this program needs, Rob. It needs an injection of that. And it needs to come from every single person that says they care about this program and the ones that don't know they care about this program, but how they're educated on the importance of this program from a gender equity standpoint, from a non-revenue producing uh, uh, section. It, it's, it's, it's losing the Sony Open. It's losing the Merry Monarch. We are at a crossroads that culture for our children, education for our children. To me, I'm so passionate about this and we need to find one of these donors, if not more. Okay, Rich, uh, and sorry, RJ, I'm, I'm gonna jump in real quickly, um, just based on something that Rich talked about. And, and um, you know, there are two things that, that I've always thought that the University of Hawaii Athletic Department, especially the football department and, and the, the way it's running, I'm not talking about right now, I'm talking about over the years. There's two huge missing links. Number one, is a, a strong presence 
on the University of Hawaii coaching staff, and whether it's a recruiting director, whether it's a GA, whether it's a, a position coach, whether it's a head coach, whatever, whatever it is, how the University of Hawaii doesn't every single year have a direct link and a direct pipeline to the North Shore is beyond me in trying to get not only talent to the University of Hawaii because there is unlimited supply of talent year in, year after, uh, of, of football in on the North Shore, specifically in Kahuku. But then you also look at the passion behind the people of Kuhuku and the way they support the people that are from the Kuhuku program. All right. And so then not only are you creating more fans, but you're also bringing talent in. And, and again, this isn't a knock on the current staff or the current, even athletic director or the current administration, whatever. I mean, I, I can only think of Doug Simonis of being a, a direct Kuhuku tie on the University of Hawaii football team. And that was a pretty quick, you know, a couple of years uh, that, that he was a coach under Fred Von Oppen. Um, and then, so that's number one, is that how do you not have that on your team at all times? I mean, and like I said, even if it's the dude answering phones within the University of Hawaii athletics program of just having a relationship, having a direct, and I'm not just talking to someone that recruits Kuhuku or someone that's been around Kuhuku. I'm talking about like born and bred Kuhuku RR4L that can help this University of Hawaii football program get some of that there. Okay. And I see RJ freaking out right now. And so he's going to want to talk about this, but, but I, but I did mention that there are two things that always confused me. The other one, and I think this one will relate more to Rich, and you can even tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. And, you know, how the University of Hawaii Athletics Department doesn't have a direct tie to the Bishop Estate, to uh, someone with some kind of relationship to the Bishop Estate, because, you know, yeah, there's no oil tycoon in Hawaii, but you know what there is? There's Bishop Estate. I mean, I don't even know what the number's at now, but, but I mean, years ago, it was like $10 billion net worth. It was bringing in $300 million annually on, on the projects that they have. And yes, it is made for Native Hawaiians and, and, and the development of Native Hawaiians and the education of Native Hawaiians and especially, but you, but I feel like that, you could make the pitch that you look at how many hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of native Hawaiians have played for this University of Hawaii football team. How many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of native Hawaiian children will have an experience with University of Hawaii football or University of Hawaii athletics, the only division one program in the state that is part of, 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 of life here in the state of Hawaii and all these native Hawaiians if they have an opportunity to watch a, a first-class program and go to these great events, and whether it's at the Stan Sheriff Center, whether it's at a stadium that you would hope is not yet been built yet somewhere, that how is there not a bigger relationship there between Bishop Estate and the University of Hawaii Athletics? And, and so, RJ, I know you really want to talk about the, the Kahuku stuff uh, because I saw your eyes perk up. But Rich Miano, you are a little more familiar with this than even I am. 
is this even possible? And why has this not happened? And do you think that, I mean, because the way I see it is that, I mean, there could be a stadium. I mean, the naming rights could be the, you know, the uh, King Kamehameha Stadium. And within the stadium, there's education there. And, and I mean, there's almost a, a museum type feel of the the education of, of uh, Hawaiian history. And, and it's all tied into, yeah, I mean, if they're going to help the program, then what can the program do to help its cause? of educating uh, uh, about Hawaiian issues and about Hawaiian history. So Rich Miano, do you mind talking uh, about this? Is this even possible or am I just completely off my rocker? No, Rob, it, there is a possibility because you mentioned the tie-ins and there already is tie-ins with Bishop Estate in terms of the educational part of the University of Hawaii in terms of scholarships, whatever else. So involved in their mission statement obviously is to advance Native Hawaiians, and you're right, there are a lot of Native Hawaiians that play not just football, but the other 19 or 21 uh, uh, sports at the University of Hawaii. So who at Bishop Estate? Is it Corbett Kalama? Is it Elliot Mills? Is it Michael Kane? How do you tie these people in? Because you're going to have to make some adjustments in what their normal giving is, Robin. You're right, it's almost that $18 billion foundation now. So you look at just the growth of that foundation alone and the diversification of that foundation. And then you have the Weinberg estate, which Corbett Kalama will be stepping down. But there's some players in this town that love the University of Hawaii sports. They love, uh, you know, helping the, these people that are in need. And this is a program in need. So how do you educate them? Again, it's the same thing as educating the legislature of realizing the importance of funding based upon all the other Mountain West schools and what they get for their states and the alignment of, you know, government matching funds of the private sector, the foundations involved. You're exactly right, Rob. There's a huge possibility of that, but you're going to have to get somebody in place that can lomi lomi these people that understand the Hawaiian culture, that understand the importance of this program to Hawaii. And it's a passionate plea. It's almost a desperate plea at this time, Rob, and it may not be a forever plea, plea again, but it's, it is something that, hey, if you guys did support us on a yearly basis, if you did give us a one-time opportunity, here's what we're gonna do with that money. Here's how we're gonna take this program to the next level. Because I think there's a confidence uh, our lack of confidence uh, situation with some of this until they see the alignment and see the, until they see the stars aligned uh, in the direction they want to see it, which is the future of this program and for the good of the community. But I, I do think that I'm very passionate about that. I know there's other people in this community that are passionate about it. And if I went out and talked about Kahuku in 1999, when Dan Morrison showed up to recruit on that campus, they said, Go park over there. We don't like the University of Hawaii. So we had a long way to go in terms of getting that North Shore. But we did start recruiting the Tala Sarahs, the, the Leonard Peterses, the, you know, all those type of great players that we had in this program. So all of this is possible, Rob, but it's bigger than any one of us. But if we don't get the right team in place, if we don't have the right direction and the right education and the right passion, we're going to be talking about this in 20 years. And at that time, I'll be 80, Rob. So you probably fired me by then. <laughs> hey, I'll be right. I'll be I'll be there, though, bro. This is a <laughs> lifelong bond. This is we're like the golden girls up in here. All right. All right. RJ Hollis, uh, you know, obviously you wanted to talk about the the, the what I brought up about Kahuku and, and its lack of representation on the University of Hawaii football team and its lack of tie. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I w it wasn't really even towards the lack of tie or, you know, there's every now and again a couple of players that show up on the University of 
of Hawaii football team. But my thing is the community of Kahuku in and of itself. Uh, my fiance went to Kahuku, her mother went to Kahuku, and her mother went to Kahuku, and her father went to Kahuku, and her siblings are now attending in Kahuku. I actually sat in a game in the rain on Saturday night to watch Kahuku play Waianae. So, you know, for me, it's like the thing that I think I love most about it is that it's a community for real. Like, we were talking earlier about big time donors showing up and giving money and doing this and doing that. But let's just say Rich Miano goes and finds, you know, a, a golf buddy that can give him a check for $2 million. And at the same time, RJ Hollis was knocking on every door from Kaneohe to, to Wahiwa. And 20,000 people gave me $100. Well, guess who has more money? Neither one of us, because we showed up with the same thing. I think that's <laughs> the thing is that bit by bit, bit by bit, they have built this community. And yes, they've won a lot. They've been winning for decades. That has a part to do with it. But when you see the mom and pop shops in the North Shore that fly the Kahuku flag, when you see little children running around with Kahuku Red Raider shirts on. These aren't the richest people in the world you're talking about, but at the end of the day, they will do what they can to represent that community, to represent that brand, to represent that team. I feel like the University of Hawaii has people like that and have they have kind of gotten lost in the search of big time donors. Yes, it's college football. Yes, you do need somebody to give you that overwhelming check. I'm not saying that that doesn't have to happen, but what I'm saying is there is a community that exists on the same island your college is on that has almost grassroots built up a pure love that is transferred from generation to generation and keeps going. I think if you find a way to do that and mimic that part of Kahuku, you will be able to get a very strong foundation numbers wise and even donations wise to help build this program back up. So to me, I just think the community thing is a big part, especially when, like I said at first, if somebody gives a 20, you know, if somebody gives a $20 million check and 20,000 people give $1,000 over the span of six months, that's the same amount of money. So, you know, do there need to be big donors? Yes, there do, but I think there should be a, a overall attempt to create a community by the people that love this university, that are gonna be around this university and that are going to try and represent this university till they're gone and pass it generations going forward. Well, obviously, like we talked about, and thank you so much, uh, Mac, for starting that conversation. Um, you know, like we talked about when this show first started is uh, we had thought that this was going to be the final Bowie's football final of the season, but we now know that it is not. Hawaii will be playing on the Christmas Eve Hawaii Bowl against Memphis, so we're going to be doing this again. Um, but before we leave here today, Rich Miano, RJ Hollis, I want to give you guys an opportunity to just uh, to, to, to leave us out on – what the conversation should be here moving forward, what you want to see, or, or just whatever it is, just what's on your mind right now that you want to get out of your mind as we get out of this show. Rich. I, I just, I just think I'll segue, continue that just the last train of thought, but kind of encapsulate that is, you know, if we really want a division one sports program, we have to not only act like it, but we have to get actively involved organically all the way up to, you know, the, the different levels of government and corporate support and, and private donations and foundations, because I, I do think this is a crossroad and people may think it's not as serious as, you know, we're making it sound on this show, but it is, and it's going to start 
on December 24th. If we can't put 9,000 fans, maybe 1,000 from Memphis or whatever they uh, tickets they're allotted, but if we can't put the other 8,000, including hopefully 1,000 or so students, and I know students go home for the Christmas time, but if we can't fill that arena for a ball game, that stadium for a ball game that only seats 9,000 for a bowl game, excuse me, there's something wrong and, and it's more on life support system than any one of us can imagine. So if we get 5,000, 4,000 fans to our own bowl game on Christmas Eve, there ain't a whole lot of things to do. Then, then I think we have to realize the, the sense of urgency in this football program. So, you know what, show up. This is the first thing we can do to support this program moving forward, show up, buy a ticket, you know, support the university of Hawaii. RJ Hollis. Uh, you know, actually, with all the things that have flourished or, you know, all the drama that's going on and with me being a co-host, kind of putting my name towards it. First thing first, I love this university more than almost anybody I've ever met in the past few years that I've met it. So I'm going to just start with that. Except me. Yeah, well, I mean, most, most, most. I put most in there, you know. Obviously, I'm not going to say I'm the biggest alum there ever is. I've only been there since 2013, so it'd be foolish for me to say that. However, I do want to see this university succeed, whomever is at the helm. And my thing is, if you're listening to this right now on Spotify, if you're an analyst, if you're RJ Hollis, Rob DeMello, Rich Miano, if you're Todd Graham, if you're Corey Bethley, if, if you're Sean Iman, Wayne Koto, or, or Fuchsia as a super fan, going forward, you can still be part of the solution. We know there's problems. We know that this is a, a very scary time for the University of Hawaii football program, but every thing that can be done positively, everything that can be done podcast-wise, effort-wise, buying the ticket, buying just merchandise, positive posts for the players, any and everything that you can do needs to be done at this point. Either you're going to be part of the problem or you're going to be part of the solution. And if you are tuned in right now, if you are currently listening to my voice, that means you made it this far in the podcast. So you probably listen to a lot more. You are a part of the solution. So as a program, analysts, fans, players, everything, we need to figure out a way as a community to give the people of North Shore a little bit of a run for their money because I'm tired of seeing college players get out cheered by uh, high school players who just have a community that loves them so much they will sit through rain to watch them play. So I feel like solutions, 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 positivity, 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 and as best as we can, that will be what's going to lead us to the program that everybody wants it to become. Awesome. As always, it's so much fun to just talk University of Hawaii football with my brothers, Rich Miano, RJ Hollis. Again, thank you so much to everybody who supports Bo's football final here over the years. And uh, be on the lookout because we'll be back with more Bo's football final at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. Have a great week, everybody. Happy holidays. Take care of yourselves. Aloha.